Um, we are in part six, if you can believe it or not. Part six of a Paul's letter to the Philippians, a sermon series we've been in for the last several weeks. We have one more week of this series next week, and then we're going to uh, begin our Advent series shortly after that. Um, but I want to start today's sermon with a question. Here's my question for you. Here's my question. How many of you in the last year have experienced any level of anxiety or worry in the last year? In the last year, any anxiety or worry? Anybody? Some of you are really calm. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Shaw Campus, y'all raise your hands if you, feel, if you felt anxiety or worry. Um, how about in the last month? Anybody feel anxious about anything or worried about anything in the last month? How about in the last week? Anybody felt anxious in the last week? Wow, we're on the same page. Anybody felt anxious this morning about anything? I got a new shirt. I was, I was afraid these kids, somebody might throw up on it, and then that would be the end. I was trying a whole new style. The truth is we, we all experience anxiety and worry from time to time. When I was a kid, I actually experienced worried quite a bit. I didn't realize that I was a worrier, but I was a worrier as a, as a child. I didn't find out that I was a worrier until the fourth grade. And the way I found out was a little bit worrying to me because we, we were in the fourth grade and they were handing out, into the year they were handing out awards like most popular, most athletic, most likely to succeed. They gave me a card. I opened my card. I opened the card and it says, congratulations, you have won the worry wart award. I don't think they should do that in school. They shouldn't. It had like a little frog on it with a wart, and it said, you've won the worry wart award. And I got to tell you, I worried about that for like the, the next two or three years. So um, I just, as a kid, there were times that I would just struggle with, with worry and anxiety. Obviously, from the show of hands, we've all experienced this. All you got to do is open a news app, and there's a ton of stuff to worry about right? There's just, you can worry about artificial intelligence taking over the world. We could start worrying about that right now. We could worry about war and violence, Israel and Hamas. We could worry about violence at home. We could worry about the finance, uh, the, the economy and our finances. There's so many things globally that can occupy our mind and give us anxiety and worry. Just, it's just that easy. It, 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 doesn't even, it doesn't even require that we open a news app. We can just look at our own life and we can begin to worry. Sometimes we worry about um, our, fi our financial situation, right? Can I pay off this debt? Can I pay down this credit card? Uh, we worry about our relationship status, or maybe we're in a relationship and we're not quite sure how it's gonna turn out and we're struggling to, to work things out, or maybe we wanna be in a relationship, or maybe we wanna be out of a relationship, right? And so there's anxiety, there's worry in, in all of these situations. Um, family anxiety. Um, some of us are anxious because we wanna have children and we're not having children. Some of us are anxious for our kids, like, is my kid gonna be okay? I'm, I'm worried about how my child is doing in life. Some of us are worrying about our parents. Our parents are aging, getting older, and we're worried about their health, or a family member, brother or sister who's struggling. So all of us have things to worry about, and, and if you look at statistically, uh, we find that we are in what a lot of researchers call an age of anxiety. We're in, we're in an era where people are just anxious. Let me give you some interesting stats I found this week. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illnesses in the United States. People that are anxious, where we're feeling anxiety, strong levels of anxiety over long periods of time. Um, another stat says about a third of adults overall, 
32.3% reported anxiety and depression symptoms in 2023. A third, that means if you look to your left, look to your right, one of you has experienced anxiety symptoms in the last year. That's a lot of us. Uh, The next stat is interesting because it says young people are more likely to experience symptoms of anxiety than older adults with nearly 50%. 50% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 reporting depressive disorder or anxiety symptoms. We are in an age, we are in an era where people are anxious. We're worried. We're anxious. And so what I want to do today is I want to not preach a sermon. I want to teach a lesson from God's word. I want to teach you the most, what I pray will be the most practical, most relevant, most life-transforming sermon in this area that I can possibly preach. And I'm calling today's sermon, God's Prescription for Personal Peace. God's Prescription for Personal Peace. So to be able to preach this sermon, I need to start by removing the stigma or the sense of shame that some of you may feel and some of you may attach to having feelings of anxiety. A lot of times when we feel anxious, we feel a stigma. We attach a stigma to that anxiety. We, we, we feel like we shouldn't feel this way. We feel that um, maybe we're weak. Maybe there's something wrong with us and, and we shouldn't be having these feelings. But let me free you from that today because the truth, the first principle I want you to get is that anxiety is a signal, not a shortcoming. Anxiety is a signal, not a shortcoming. Anxiety is signaling something to you that you need to know about, that you need to pay attention to. We, we have a smoke alarm at our house. Anybody got a smoke alarm in your, in your house? We have a smoke alarm in our house, and when it beeps, it's super annoying. You don't want the smoke alarm going off. But it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the smoke alarm. It means there's something wrong with the house, and the smoke alarm is signaling us that we need to pay attention to something. Anxiety is like a smoke alarm in your life. It's saying, hey, there's something going on. It might be something spiritual that you need to pay attention to. There might be something going on uh, emotionally or mentally that you need to pay attention to. There might be something going on physically, either in your activities or actually in your physical body, your physiological body, that you need to pay attention to. So, So don't be ashamed of anxiety. Anxiety is a helpful signal that alerts you that there's stuff that you need to pay attention to. Now, if a, if a bear walked into uh, the theater today or walked into the Shaw campus or walked into uh, stepping into the light or Eckerd Park Nursing Home, if a bear walked in here, all of us would experience a moment of anxiety, right? And it would be a warranted moment of anxiety because there's a real and present threat to our well-being. And that anxiety would then empower us and trigger us to jump up and to run, And here's the good news. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the person next to you. And then you're good to go. (laughs) It's just a good trick to remember. Take a slow person camping with you. Amen. Uh, I mean. Wow. Did I just throw the sermon completely off right there? Um. That that anxiety is saying, hey, there's something real and present that you need to pay attention to. But when we experience longer periods of anxiety, right, when there's no bear, what that means is there's something else going on in life, and it's either a spiritual thing, an emotional, mental thing, or a physical thing that we need to look at and we need to 
uh, evaluate because the truth is God doesn't want us living in a state of anxiety. That's not what we're designed to do. We're not designed to live in a state of permanent anxiety. That's not how we made us. How do we know that? Because in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. This is the Apostle Paul loves the church, loves the church, a good pastor, and said, I don't want y'all living in a state of anxiety. I don't want you living in a state of dread and fear and worry and constant uh, dread. I just don't want that for you. And the Apostle Paul isn't making this up. The Apostle Paul got this from Jesus because in, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, do not worry about your life. I don't want you living in a state, a constant state of anxiety and worry. I don't want you living in a constant state of fear. My hope is that you would have peace and wholeness. It's interesting the word that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul uses. It's the same word in the Greek. The word is merimnaho. merimnaho. And what the word means is drawn in opposite directions. Anxiety means divided into parts. Figuratively, it means to go to pieces. What it means is that our hope for the future is different from our fear about the future. What we hope will happen, we fear will not happen. And so we're divided. There's an anxiety that happens in our heart and soul. One researcher said that uh, life events that cause anxiety are the following. And he listed a, a series of them. Stress at work. Stress from school, stress in personal relationships, financial stress, stress from global occurrences or political issues, stress from unpredictable or uncertain world events like a pandemic, stress from emotional trauma such as the death of a loved one, or stress from a serious medical illness. In all of these events, the thing that you hope for is different from the thing that you fear. You hope things will get better. You fear things will get worse. And so your heart is divided. There's a division, and that division is what causes anxiety. So the question for us as followers of Jesus is, how do we move, because we all experience this, how do we move from divided to whole? How do we move from a life of worry to a life of wholeness? How do we, how do we move from this life of anxiety to a life of peace? And in the book of Philippians, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us three prescriptions Three prescriptions for how to live a life of peace, a life of wholeness. Let me give you the first one. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7, says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, somebody say prayer, prayer. and petition, somebody say petition, petition. with thanksgiving, Somebody say thanksgiving. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. First prescription is this. Engage God in a continuous conversation. If you want to live a life of peace... One practice I want to challenge you and encourage you to do is to engage God in a continuous conversation. He said in every situation, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. 
in every situation. It's divine dialogue. Engage a rhythm of divine dialogue. Some of you know the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel is such a beautiful, powerful story because Daniel is a, a young man. He's taken out of Jerusalem. He's taken to Babylon, and he's taken into the king's court. King Darius brought him in, and Daniel was such a a wonderful young man. He's bright and he was wise and he was prophetic. And he began to move up through the ranks of Darius's court uh, in Babylon. And he was actually in line to be, he was, he was one of the top three. There were three top governors in Babylon. And King Darius said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Daniel and I'm going to put him in the first spot. He's going to be my number one and then he'll oversee all the rest. Well, num- numbers two and three, they said, we don't like this. We don't want Daniel in the head spot. So they began to plot against him. And they were trying to figure out a way to plot against him. And they, didn't, they, they weren't able to plot against him with respect to his behavior or his conduct. Because he was, he was somebody who just followed the Lord and he wasn't doing bad things. So they couldn't figure out a way to capture him. But they knew he had a habit of constant communication with God. They knew he had a habit of divine dialogue. He prayed all the time. And so they came to King Darius. And King Darius loved Daniel. He, he, he wanted Daniel to succeed. But the, the governors came to King Darius and they said, hey, king... We have an idea. We think you're going to like it. Why don't you sign an edict that says for the next 30 days, everybody has to pray to you. Nobody's allowed to pray to anybody but you. And if they pray to anybody other than you, they'll be sent into the lion's den. Don't you think that's a good edict, King? King Darius, full of pride and being a fool, said, that would be a great idea. Why don't I do that? And he signed that document, right? They got Daniel. Daniel heard about the edict. And here's what the scripture says about Daniel. In, in, in Daniel chapter 6, it says, When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he, what did he do? Pray. He prayed, giving what? Pray. Thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group, found Daniel praying and what? Asking God for help. What did we say? Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. So Daniel's not disturbed. Daniel's not worried. Why? Because he's in constant communication with someone who's more powerful than death. So when death comes, now look, if somebody was plotting against me, I, I would just, there's a little part of me that would be anxious. I'd be worried. Like, what, what, what's going on? They're not just plotting against him for his job. They're, they're trying to take him out. They're trying to kill him. But it says he did three things. Prayed, petitioned, thanksgiving. Prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Let me just describe this to you. What is prayer? When the Apostle Paul talks about prayer, he uses a word, prosuke, a Greek word, prosuke. And I want you to get this, please, because I will preach this a thousand more times, but I really want you to get this because this will change your life. Prosuke, prayer, as it's described in the New Testament, is a mutual exchange of wishes. I really want you to get this. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is you in conversation with God. Prayer is you speaking and then silencing yourself and listening. This is what prayer is. Prayer is saying, God, I need some guidance and direction about this. Can you help guide me and lead me? And then being still and letting the Lord speak into your heart. That's what prayer is. It's a mutual exchange of wishes. You're giving your wishes and then he's giving his wishes. It's a mutual exchange. Petition is, I need this. Please don't let me get eaten by the lions. Please don't let the bear come and eat me, right? This is, this is petition. You're praying for what you need. Thanksgiving is when you wrap it all with gratitude. All the prayers and the petitions, you're saying, but you know what also? Thank you, God. Thank you for the life I've lived already. 
Thank you for the roof over my head, God. Thank you for the breath in my lungs, even in this moment. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my wealth. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my church. Thank you, God, for all of the blessings that you've already poured out to me. It is very, very hard to be grateful and anxious at the same time. So he says, wrap them all in thanksgiving. Your prayer and petition, wrap them in gratitude. Now, what's fascinating is Daniel's not worried. You know who's worried in this story? King Darius is worried. Because King Darius realizes that he can't go back on his word. He's going to have to throw the man of God into the lion's den. Look at this, verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was feeling anxiety because he didn't have a relationship with God. All he knew is that, man, I made a mistake. I issued an edict that I can't take back. Now I've got to put the man of God in the lion's den. My number one guy is about to get eaten by the lions, and it's my fault because I'm a fool. He's greatly distressed. Here's how distressed he is. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He was greatly distressed. And if you read the story, I won't read all of it. But I love the story because King Darius can't sleep. First, first thing in the morning, right when the sun comes up, King Darius runs down to the lion's den. He goes, Daniel, are you okay? <laughs> Daniel goes, we're all good down here. I haven't done anything wrong, so my God shut the mouths of the lions. You can go ahead and lift me on out of here now. Darius is overwhelmed with, with, with relief, right? But Daniel wasn't worried. Why? Constant communication, divine dialogue. Do you know that the power within you is greater than the problem before you? When, when God talks about his disciples, his children, he says the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. What that means is you right now in this very moment are surrounded by the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is with you. And when you're facing a problem, let me just encourage you, rather than just Start with freaking out. Start with saying, hey, God, I got a problem. I'm going to petition you about this problem. First of all, let me just say thank you, first of all, Lord, for getting me through a lot of other problems that I worried about, but that didn't come to pass. All the other things that I worried about, you know, when I got the worry ward award in fourth grade, thank you for, you know, not turning me into a frog and whatever. So thank you, God. Right? But, but we begin by that revelation that the Holy Spirit is right here with us and that the power within us is greater than the problem before us and we can open our hearts, we can pray, we can petition and we do it with gratitude and thanksgiving and immediately the anxiety begins to diminish. This is one of the reasons we don't feel a ton of anxiety at church when we're worshiping God and we're praising God because we're reminding ourselves of who he is, right, compared to how big the problems are that we're facing. So that's prescription number one, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, constant dialogue, constant communication with God. Number two is this. He says in verse eight, brothers and sisters, this is important, whatever's true, somebody say true. Well, I'm not gonna make you do that on every word. Whatever's true, but we're gonna, we're gonna focus on true in a minute. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or if anything is praiseworthy, go ahead to the next slide. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. This is the second prescription. This is the second prescription for personal peace. The prescription is disrupt your algorithm. Disrupt your algorithm. 
Anybody here ever watch YouTube videos? Why is nobody raising their hand? Anybody ever seen a YouTube video? Shaw, y'all seen YouTube? If, if, you're, if you're watching us online after the service, you're watching a YouTube video right now. Let me, be a, let me ask a better question. Has anybody not ever seen a YouTube video? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll show you one. All right. Um, <laughs> most of us have seen YouTube videos. We've seen YouTube videos. And the way YouTube videos work, if you've ever noticed, if you ever watch a video, what happens is you get a bunch of suggestions after you watch that video. And the suggestions say, if you like that video, we bet you'll love these videos. And now you've got a stack of videos to watch that YouTube thinks you're going to like. And the way that works is through the YouTube algorithm. The YouTube algorithm is simply this. Whatever video you watched, we're going to scrape the, the web. We're going to find other videos that are similar to that. And then we're going to suggest them to you. Because the goal of YouTube is to keep you watching YouTube. That's the goal of YouTube, right? So, so it's going to suggest videos that you watch. So it's just going to keep you watching the same kinds of things over and over and over again. Now... If you don't want to keep watching videos along that vein, if you've seen enough Mr. Beast videos, okay, if you've seen Baby Shark videos enough, right, and you want to see something else, you have to intentionally disrupt the algorithm. What I mean by that is you need to, you need to search for a different kind of video. And when you search for a different kind of video, that will disrupt the algorithm, and now you'll start getting different kinds of suggestions, it's the same with your mind, because your mind, the thoughts that you have will breed more thoughts that are similar to the thought that you have. And if you want to change the flow of thoughts in your mind, you have to disrupt your mental algorithm. You've got to say, wait a minute, let me catch that thought, let me capture that thought, let me put that thought on ice, I want to start thinking a new thought. I'm going to start thinking a thought that is true, that is right, that is pure, that is noble, that is admirable, that is lovely, that is excellent, that is praiseworthy. Because these thoughts are not noble, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, let me start with something easy, okay? Because the first filter is, is it true? I cannot tell you how important this is. Most of the thoughts that induce anxiety and worry in you are thoughts that are not true. They're not true. There might be a germ of truth. There might be a seed of truth. The best lies are wrapped in untruth. It's a little germ of truth wrapped in untruth. This is the way, this is the, way the devil always lies to you. He gives you just enough truth that you go, that sounds right, but then it's wrapped in distorted and exaggerated realities, right? When, I, when, I, when we first started the church, one of the things that I worried about a lot, one of the things that made me anxious was whether or not I was appropriately communicating God's word. Because I, I hadn't had a lot of background in preaching. I hadn't trained as a preacher. I hadn't gone to seminary. So I'd get up and I'd preach and then I'd go home and I'd lie down on the couch and my thoughts would be like, that was the worst sermon of all time and no one is ever coming back to church next Sunday. That was my thought. That was my thought. And what I had to learn to do is go, wait a minute, is that thought true? Is that thought true? Right? And I would literally, this is what I would do and I would encourage you to do this. I would, I would, I would write down the thought I would write it down. I would capture it. I would write down the thought. That was the worst sermon of all time and nobody's coming back to church next Sunday, right? And then I would put that thought on trial and say, is that thought true? 
And I literally put a line down the middle of the paper and I put evidence for, evidence against. Because I have a law background. So I'm like, all right, let's, put, <laughs> let's do this. Evidence for, it was a little disorganized, it ran a little long, you were a little muddled, you stuttered, da-da-da. That's evidence for that's the worst sermon of all time and nobody's ever coming back. What's the evidence against that's the worst sermon? Well, it was true to the word of God. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was aligned with what God teaches us. It was, right? So, so, oh, and by the way, it's the word of God that does the transformation anyway. It's not me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's gonna change people's lives anyway, not me, right? By the time I got down through this evidence, the new thought was that wasn't the most brilliant sermon of all time, but it was pretty darn good. And my anxiety would go from an eight to a one because I started believing what was true. I started believing. Our thoughts will dictate our feelings. So the, so the Apostle Paul is saying, I, want, I don't want you to live in anxiety. I want you to think that which is true. If you're somebody who struggles with anxious and worrisome thoughts just coming at you at all the time, let me challenge you. Go to somebody, go to one of our partner agencies, count, uh, Avenues Counseling, Crossroads Counseling, or somebody else who can help you learn to filter your thoughts through what is true, what is right, what is noble, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent, what, what is lovely, Right? Because, because your thoughts are going to dictate your feelings. And when we have anxious thoughts, untrue, distorted, exaggerated thoughts, we will feel anxious. That's prescription number two. Are you all with me this morning? Disrupt your algorithm. Disrupt your algorithm. Last one is this. Verse 9, Philippians. The Apostle Paul says, here's the last one. Here's the third prescription for a life of peace. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Prescription number three is simply this. Hone your habits. Hone, hone your habits. I have a regular routine um, that I like to do. I like to, I like to exercise if I can, I like to get a little bit of exercise every day. Either go to the gym, go on my bike, go for a run. And part of that is because I want to be physically healthy. But what I've learned over the years, for me, is that it has even a greater impact on my emotional and mental well-being. It really does for me. So, for instance, if I'm irritable or edgy at home, if I'm kind of like got a little vibe going on, my wife does not say to me, hey, Brent, let's sit, or, let's sit down and talk about your irritability right now. You know what she says? She doesn't do that. She goes, honey, you need to go to the gym. You need to go to the gym. Honey, you need to get on your bike. Honey, you need to go, you know, climb Art Hill 14 times and then come back. And then we have it. Because she knows that, like, for me, that rhythm, that habit, that discipline brings emotional and mental stability for me. It just makes me calm. When the Apostle Paul uses the word practice, here's the word he's using. It's, it's a Greek word, praso, which means a regular practice, that is, a routine or habit. He's like, I want you to put some things in rhythm in your life, some practices in your life that will bring peace in your life. The God of peace will be with you if you put into practice those things which you have seen in me, what you have heard from me, which I have taught you, and which you have received from me. So if I were gonna summarize the Apostle Paul's teachings, what we're learning from him in this letter, what we see in him, what, what we're receiving from him, here's what it would be. If you wanna take notes, you can write this down. Here are the practices. We avoid God's prohibitions. We embrace God's pace of grace. We avoid God's prohibitions and we embrace God's pace 
of grace. These are the practices the Apostle Paul's talking about. What does it mean to avoid the prohibitions? What it means is the things that God says don't do, don't do. Because they will bring anxiety to your life. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lust, don't envy, don't overconsume, don't wish ill will, don't harm others. Those things will bring you anxiety. Why? Because your life will be divided. Your values and beliefs will be here. Your activities and behaviors will be here. You will be divided. You will experience anxiety as a result of not avoiding God's prohibitions. Just trust me on this. Trust me on this one. I've been there, okay? We're like, this is what I believe, but this is what I'm doing. That's a surefire way to experience intense anxiety and panic in your life because your life is not aligned with your beliefs and values. That's avoiding God's prohibitions. What, are the, what, are the, what, are the, what is the pace of grace? The pace of grace is what we learn from the Apostle Paul when he teaches us to spend time in silence and solitude, daily time with the Lord. Can I just encourage you, start your day with prayer and petition and thanksgiving. If you will just start your day there and then allow that to walk through the rest of your day. My grandfather, and I'm gonna close in just a second. My grandfather, C.H. Aiden, Love this guy. But when I was a kid, I didn't understand what he was doing. We, I would be at his house, and he literally would just walk around like this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You guys want some dinner? You know, it's just like, what? Who are you talking to me? Who are you talking to? Like, but he just had this constant state of like, I'm, I'm praising God. I'm worshiping God. I love you, Lord. I got a problem. I need this. I want that. I hear you. Thank you. It was just that. That, 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 that rhythm of, of prayer, right? So, so silence and solitude. A, another pace for us is Sabbath. What you're doing right now is good for you. Coming and, and spending time with God, with the community of God, with the word of God, worshiping God, this is good for you. This is good for you. This will decrease your anxiety. Trust me, when you get isolated and alienated and you're off alone all by yourself all the time, anxiety will arise come in and get into this habit of of Sabbath. And the third one is simply simplicity. Get rid of the things in your life that are not bringing you peace, that are not glorifying God. Just eliminate them. Just say, look, that is not bringing peace in my life. It's not bringing honor to God. Why am I still doing that? Right? Let that go. And and, and that's, that's the prescription. And here's the promise, and I'm closing for sure. The promise is that the peace of God which passes all understanding. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. You won't even be able to understand why you feel peace. Will guard, man, if I had, a, I would preach this thing for, if I had, because guard is a military term. The peace of God is gonna stand guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's an active peace. That's not just a hiding peace. That's the peace of God with a, with a, with a sword and a, and a shield saying, come on, anxiety, let's go. Come on, worry, let's go. Try to get into my man's heart here. No, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. What is the word peace? What is the word peace? Last thing is this. Paul uses this word, irene, which means to join, to tie together into a whole when all essential parts are joined together, it's God's gift of wholeness. Get this, y'all. Anxiety is division, pulling apart, separate directions, two different things, going this way, going that way. Peace is when God says, I'm gonna bring all this together and I'm gonna make you whole. I'm gonna bring everything in alignment and I'm gonna make you whole. I'm gonna bring it all together. I'm gonna make you whole in me. 
In 2004, when my father passed away, my life was so divided, so divided. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, my life was just divided. And God used the anxiety that I experienced in that time to start to bring me into wholeness, to start to bring me into oneness. It drove me to my knees. It drove me to a counselor. It drove me to church. The anxiety was going, something's wrong, Rome. Pay attention. Truth was, there was a lot wrong, y'all. There was smoke in the house. And God was saying, I'm going to use that anxiety, that, that feeling, that pulling apart, because I really want you to live a life of peace. And I began to follow Christ, and I began to put my faith in him, and I began to get help from a counselor, and I began to pray, and I began to put into practice what I believed, and I started to eliminate some of the things that God had called me out of. I started to put some things away out of my life, and my life began to experience wholeness in him. That's what the Apostle Paul wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. God wants you whole. So as we close today, here's what I want to do. I want to pray that we would begin to experience it right now. I want to pray that you would experience wholeness in God right now. Would you bow your heads with me and let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit to begin making us whole. Father, we come before you right now. We know that the anxiety and the worry that we experience, Lord, is the result of a signal that says spiritually or, or emotionally, mentally, or physically, there's something going on we need to pay attention to. And so we come before you with our prayer. We speak to you and we hear from you. We come to you with our petitions. God, help us in our time of need. We come to you with thanksgiving, thankful for what you've already done and what you're already doing. Even in this moment as we pray and as we issue gratitude, our anxiety levels decrease because we're just so thankful for who you are and what you've done in our lives already. Father, I pray that we would be committed to thinking on those things which are true and right and pure and lovely and, and, and excellent and praiseworthy. I pray, Lord God, that we would, we would learn to divide that which is a lie of the enemy from the truth of your word. We would remember the truth of who you are and who we are in you. And God, I pray that each and every one of us today would be filled with the power of your spirit, that we could begin to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. That we would begin to walk out the rhythms, walk out the pace of grace, walk out the rhythms of, of silence and solitude and Sabbath and simplicity, that we would begin to follow you, that we would eliminate those activities and behaviors that don't align with your word that we might experience wholeness. We might experience your grace, God. We might experience your peace. God, I pray for each and every person in this house today, those at Shaw, those at Ecker Park Nursing Home, our brothers that stepping into the light shelter, all of us here at U-City. Lord, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us out of this room into your peace. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen.